So I either wanted to go back to Chicago and do Second City or go to New York and do musical theater. The Broadway thing happened and I was like, oh, this is so simple. Why does everyone complain? This is hard, you know? And then it was like, fuck you, Leslie. Hello and welcome once again to the No Name NYC podcast. I say welcome again uh, if, if you've listened before, if you're here for the first time. Welcome. Come on in. It's fine. Pull up a chair. It's going to be fun. My name is Eric Vetter and, and welcome. The voice you heard up front with that of Leslie Goshko. Leslie Goshko is a wonderfully talented performer known for her long-running storytelling show, Sideshow Goshko. But as I found out in talking with her, she has so much else going on. And storytelling kind of happened almost as an accident. I think we had a great conversation. I think you'll enjoy it. We'll get to that in a little bit. Now, I like to think of myself as a pretty rational human being. I think that's fairly true. I don't get too high or too low intellectually, emotionally. You know, I can be all over the place. But, you know, stuff happens. I don't tend to overreact. You know, I mean, we've all got those personal things that we'd rather not share with with anyone, things that we cling to desperately hope no one will ever find out. Like for me, I've got this thing involving cans of crazy string, vintage matchbox cars, and domesticated prairie dogs. That's a discussion for another day. But the point being, I consider myself a pretty rational person overall. There's a Chuck D lyric in a Public Enemy song that I love, uh, Don't let a win get to your head or a loss to your heart. I've always loved that lyric. I really do kind of try to live by that. So as many of you know, and I've talked about it here before, uh, one of the challenges of having lost basically all my eyesight in the last couple of years is I'm now very dependent on the Google Assistant function on my phone for communication, for all sorts of things. Now, I've had no experience with Siri or Alexa, but Google Assistant... I got to say, I don't think they got all the bugs out. My friends have heard my tales of frustration of dealing with the Google Assistant, and my friends have, let's use the word affectionately, dubbed it Gouda. So my Google Assistant has a name, and and interestingly, I've discovered that sometimes I can give it a command by calling it Gouda, and sometimes it responds just as well as it does when I call it Google. For any who are uninitiated, basically the deal is you say, hey, Google, you pause a second to let it get its shit together, and then you give it its command. And sometimes it responds to the command, and other times, not so much. Sometimes it will respond to the command, but you have to go through a few times of it screwing up before it does what you've asked it to. Now, we've been doing this podcast for less than a year, and uh, I think we've done a good job. Our guests have all pretty much been just great. But this is new for me, so I'm still learning on the job. You know, there's really no open mic you can go and do this sort of thing on. Everybody's watching me learn or listening to me learn as we go along. And so I really do spend a certain amount of time trying to listen back to old episodes. I can hear what's working, what's not working, stuff like that. One day, a couple of weeks ago, I was trying to do that. I was trying to call it up on my phone. Hey, Google, pause, 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 play No Name NYC podcast. No Name NYC talks to Liz Mealy. Okay, here are some photos. Hey, Google, play No Name NYC podcast. No Name NYC talks with Liz Mealy. Okay, here are some photos. So I said, let's, let's try another episode. Hey, Google, 
Play No Name NYC podcast. No Name NYC talks with Carl Fortunato. Okay, here's a YouTube playlist called One Hit Wonders of the 70s. Again, I want to emphasize I'm a pretty rational guy. I realize this is not a human being that's trying to fuck with me. This is a phone. It's a device. But, you know, sometimes when you deal with this day in, day out, having a stressful day and dealing with sorts of things that humans deal with, made a little more complicated by having to rely on something like this, it can wear on you. I found that on this particular day, I was just locking in, and I wasn't going to let it go. Because sometimes, like I say, you repeat the exact same thing several times, and eventually it does the right thing. I have no earthly idea why I've done this in the presence of friends, so people have seen it. I'm not crazy. Say the thing the exact same way with the exact same inflections, and sometimes it clicks and sometimes it doesn't. Well, on this particular day, Gouda was being a bitch. I locked in, and I wasn't going to let go. By my count, I tried 78 consecutive times before it finally played the podcast that I had been repeatedly asking it for. On many occasions, for reasons I couldn't explain to you, it was playing a four-year-old edition of Ophira Eisenberg's former NPR show, Ask Me Another. After a while, I'm not comfortable with what this reveals about me, but I got very angry at my phone. And this actually happened at try number 75 or so. Hey, Google, play me no name and you know, the whole thing. It said, Okay, here's the latest episode of Ask Me Another Podcast. And it had done this several times in a row. And when I once again made the request for the No Name NYC podcast, I actually yelled this out. And you say, ask me another podcast again, I will fuck your shit up. When you hear your voice screaming something in that level of anger at an inanimate object, it can be a little jarring. And I was a little concerned. But I eventually got the podcast I was looking for, and I was able to listen to it, and and I tried to let it roll off. And the next day, I'm getting ready to head out of the house and got a friend meeting me downstairs because when you're the blind guy, you need people to help you around. And I'm getting ready to leave the house. I'm by my front door putting on my shoes. The phone rang, and I wanted to pick it up because it was probably my friend maybe letting me know they're a little late or whatever. Hey, Google, answer my phone. Normally, this is not something that it gives me a problem with. On this particular day, Gouda still had a little bit of an attitude. And I asked repeatedly for it to answer the phone. It wouldn't, and the phone kept ringing. And I finally screamed out, What? You won't fucking answer the phone. What the fuck is wrong with you? What the fuck good are you for if you won't fucking answer the fucking phone? You know, certain comedy shows have used this device, like, Scrubs and Ally McBeal were good at this, where character gets completely lost in the fantasy for a moment. And I think this is what happened to me, because I suddenly realized I am screaming at my phone right by my front door, and I flashed on what my neighbors might be thinking about what's going on in my apartment. And I flashed to a scene of there being a knock on my door. Sir? Hello? We're responding to... Reports of a disturbance here. Is everything okay in there, sir? Yeah, everything's fine. We heard there was what sounded like a heated argument going on there. No, we're fine. We're fine. Sir, is is your phone in there? Yes. Could we speak to your phone? You don't need to speak to my phone. We're good now. We're good now. Uh, Thanks for checking in. Appreciate it. Sir, we'd really like to speak to your phone. 
It's okay, I'm all right, all right. Sir, we believe that is you pretending to be your phone. No, no, it's me. I'm fine. I'm fine. We're, we're good. Sorry. Sorry if we disturbed anybody. Sir, we really need to speak to your phone. And my brain then flashed to me being carried away in handcuffs. I'm, I'm going to get you for this. No, no, no. Take him away, officers. I never want to see him again. They're going to lock you up and throw away the key. I emerged from this. I snapped out of it when the phone started ringing again. And I thought to myself, maybe I'm not as rational a guy as I thought I was. So I hope to stay free on bail and continue doing the podcast. But if not, let me just say in advance, I'm sorry for any atrocities I may commit towards my phone. All right. Well, anyway, I have enough rambling about this. We got a great conversation with Leslie Goshko. I hope you enjoy it. I enjoyed it. She was a blast to chat with and to get to know a little bit. And we're going to get to that in just a minute right after this word from our sponsor. Escape to Green Bay. That's right, the historic Astor House Bed and Breakfast in beautiful Green Bay, Wisconsin. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to a bed and breakfast before, but the breakfast at a lot of these places tends to be like a mini box of cereal or uh, some questionable fruit, things of that nature, a piece of toast maybe with some butter. But not at the historic Astor House Bed and Breakfast. Your innkeepers, Tom and Linda Steber, will provide you with a delicious, absolutely world-class breakfast every single morning. They will also make you feel welcome in any one of their five luxury accommodations, all of which have a private bath and some of which have their own jacuzzi. If you want to know what's going on around town, Tom and Linda will let you know about any special events, and they'll also make recommendations for you to any of the wonderful restaurants in town. So you can't beat it. Go. Go now. Go. Get away to Green Bay. For more information or for reservations, go to www.astorhouse.com. That's A-S-T-O-R-H-O-U-S-E.com. Get away to Green Bay. First thing, I've been dying to ask you about this. Uh, Explain the yodeling pickle. (laughs) That means you've been hanging out with Tommy Pryor. That's how we began our our conversation with Tommy. He said, hold on, hold on. And he made us listen to the yodeling pickle and identified you as having sent it to him. Yeah, that sounds like something I would do. Explain to me the yodeling pickle. If you know Tommy Pryor, he's an amazing storyteller, amazing writer, He's my favorite cuckoo nut. He's a ball to hang out with. And I don't know what you get a guy like that. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like, and if you've been to his house. And you has, saw it, the answer is yodeling pickle. I was like, I don't think he has this. And it, tur- <laughs> it turns out it's been a big hit so far. His dog hates it. <laughs> his dog hates it. Hates I didn't know that. <laughs> it was something you sent via the phone, right? Oh, yeah, Amazon. Yeah, yeah, okay, no, no. Not that I want to feed into the machine, but it got there fast. Uh, No, I understand, but I'm I'm asking you could... uh, Is this you trying to get a yodeling pickle out of me? I think that's what I feel like I shouldn't answer that without a lawyer present. (laughs) Um, No, I I have a very dear friend whose birthday is today, and I would love to send her the yodeling pickle 
phrases that you never thought you would utter as an adult. Cross it off the bingo card. Yeah. I'll link you up. I'll send you a link to the I Yodeling Pickle. I appreciate that. Get, get next day prime. It's good to finally chat with you. How you doing? Haven't seen you know, you things are just really pandemic. bad right now. Like, what if I just had a full-on breakdown when you asked me that? It's good entertainment. <laughs> For the that's all listening. we really care about. That's, <laughs> I'm fact- good. It's been a while. I was trying to think when the last time, I think the last time I saw you must have been at an autos or something. Yeah, autos. I, I think that's the only time you ever did our autos show. Yeah, I think that was the last time I saw you, which was a minute now. Either late 2019 or early 2020. Yeah. How you've been filling in the time? It's stuff's been happening. Yeah, you know, I got a little fat. Went through a pandemic, you know, fun stuff. Well, I'll take your word for all of that. <laughs> um, I glammed up. I glowed up. It's been crazy. Sure, all the good shit happened since I lost my eyesight. <laughs> On the other hand, this is just an audio podcast, so it didn't really go. matter. There we go. No, it's been crazy. I mean, I'm sure everyone's saying that. What do you do for the past, like, three years when you're in the <laughs> arts and your identity is kind of wrapped up in performing for people and you can't do it? And it's been stellar. How about you? <laughs> <laughs> I got nothing. We got this podcast going. We got the podcast going. That's good. One thing I've I've loved about doing this though is getting to know people I already know. Yeah. Like you know, like you know people, but you don't really know them or whatever. Oh, I'm full of demons and dark secrets. We'll get into it. Oh, cool. So, uh, <laughs> just for a grand total, how many rehabs? Oh, well, if this one takes seven, lucky seven. <laughs> well, there you go. You got to have double gold. down. You're you're not a native New Yorker, right? No, I am originally from Chicago. Oh, wow. Okay. Yep. How was life there? Well, I was born in Chicago, like proper. And then when I was like four or five, we moved to the suburbs and my parents still live there. So I grew up there and then went to Oklahoma for college, back to Chicago, back to Oklahoma, and then I've been here for the past 15 years. Chicago and Oklahoma, I, I'm not a very well-traveled person, but that, that no one, to no me one like needs. different lifestyles. Yeah, no one needs to make that trek. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no shade of Oklahoma. There was some good stuff there, but yeah, it's like you don't leave Chicago to be like, I'm going to Tulsa. So why Oklahoma? I went there for school. So when I graduated high school, I wasn't planning on going to college. I have older parents, so they were kind of from the ilk of you graduate high school and you get a job for 40 years and you take care of your family, you know, and my mom's yeah. like, you can be a secretary or a mom. All the options. Yeah, I had the big three. <laughs> <laughs> Slavery to the man uh, or, you know, have a baby or uh, learn shorthand. Slavery to the man or slavery to a man. There you go. There Either you or. Go. Take your pick. So, or my dad was, he used to be a Marine. Uh, so oh, there was always the military. So it was the big four. Um, but I graduated and this is not to be like, yeah, I'm so awesome, but I was valedictorian in my school. And so that was the first time I thought maybe I should go to college. Like maybe Mm -hmm. I can get some money and go to college. Uh, but we, my mom was very religious at the time. Mm -hmm. So she said, well, if you're going to go to college, the only college I'll let you go to is Oral Roberts university which if you don't know, is a super religious, like Christian fundamentalist college in Tulsa. And that's how I ended up there. They're presumably disavowing you for doing this podcast, I would imagine. Oh, that, the disavowment happened long ago <laughs> <laughs> uh, by my third rehab. That was, that was when that happened. 
<laughs> understood. Understood. Well, I, well, I imagine they were probably responsible for the first couple of rehabs. Yeah, you uh, know, they they took some. You know, they were part of the problem. <laughs> so you know, set up a GoFundMe through that. No, I'm kidding. Oh, um, <laughs> so yeah, so that's how I ended up there. Halfway through, I was like this isn't so much where I feel like I belong. And just coming into my own person, you know, you're getting a little mm-hmm. bit older. So you came from fairly religious. My mom was, my oh. dad was not, but I was very much raised like, you know, like obey your parents. And it was kind of a chaotic household. So I just didn't want to cause any more waves I, with stuff. I, were you a church going folk? Well, me and my mom and my, she made my sister, my dad, uh, Like, he was like a cute alcoholic, like, (laughs) not like uh, abusive, abusive, you know, it's just like, no, he doesn't remember anything. (laughs) So so he was busy with that. And my sister had a lot of medical problems. And so it was just like a lot of chaos with that. So my mom got really into the church. And so she just kind of toted me and my sister along. But I was very like being the good kid, you know, because there was too much stuff going on. So what well, you're speaking to someone who also speaks that language. The second you said, I never wanted to cause trouble. I was like, oh, you grew up in that household. What was your deal? My dad was a very lovely man who was a functional alcoholic. He should be my dad. <laughs> yeah, well, this is what I'm saying. I it's like, oh, I see where that part of this is going. Yeah. I mean, my dad always made it to work. I mean, drank like a skunk, but you know, he was always providing for us. He always made it to work. Right, he always exactly. did that stuff, but like very when, emotionally distant, like not a part of your life really, but like provided. And that's like his still to the state. He's sober now 20 years. One of the things he's most proud of is he says, I always provided for you guys. Mm-hmm. You know, that was kind of his thing. As a kid, you might be like, yeah, but that that's not the whole story. But coming from that perspective, you also understand that because it's like there's so much that you may have shame about. Yeah. Like, at least I got this shit done. Yeah, I think that's the one thing he kind of takes out of all of that is like, you know, I wasn't just like a total whatever. But, you know, like there was a couple trips back when I went to visit my family and we drove past my grade school. And I was like, oh, there's my grade school. And he's like, you never went to school there. I was like, on many <laughs> oh, occasions, you took me there. On many, like, but just huge chugs that like, but he calls that his Xanadu years. He's like, oh, I was in mm. Xanadu then, which sounds like a fun place. There are times I would have liked to have visited. Right? Uh, <laughs> so you get to Oral Roberts University. Yeah. And what were you majoring in? At that time, I had a classical piano scholarship. So I had my academic scholarship and I had my music scholarship. And that's how I was able to go my first year because nobody planned on me going to college. I didn't have any money. Uh, Right. And my parents didn't have any money. So I was like, I got to find some ways to get some money or else I can't afford to go. So that's how I paid for my first year. I have no story to compare with that (laughs) academically, but I I did go on scholarship my first year, kind of my first two years. Was it a badass scholarship? Did you get a scholarship for being a badass? No, no, no. It was actually... (laughs) 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 No, but as I got more badass, they were like, oh, you, we don't want to put our money towards this. Uh, Yeah, they're like, you're badass enough. We'll take our money now. Yeah, it it was fine until I stopped writing papers so the courses that I need to turn in papers for I failed and they were like well we don't need to give you a scholarship for that oh wait and, what happened there oh just uh <laughs> I, you know I wish it were a more interesting story but I just for many years I, I had a real block about writing I did not enjoy writing was that your major writing oh uh, no no I I <laughs> entered You're like no it was uh it was <laughs> Jim. Major? I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Wait, I, that wasn't a college. That was a brothel. <laughs> yeah, what? Yeah, right. 
uh, what happened was I had no interest in going into college, really. I only wanted to go into one college when I got out of high school, School of Visual Arts. School of Visual Arts basically said, look, you can apply if you want, but we think you should take some time, seek out personal instruction, and then maybe reconsider. What the um, hell does that mean? Uh, it means you suck. Is this a bad time to mention our sponsor, SVA? (laughs) Is it awkward now? SVA, (laughs) your dreams can come true. We can dash your dreams at 18. Uh, Man, I may may still have the letter somewhere, but it was like, with the way it was structured at the time, I don't know if it's this way anymore, but in, in those days, what it was, you applied by taking the scholarship exam and presenting your portfolio. And the response of that was either... You've gotten a scholarship, or more often it was like, you didn't get a scholarship, but here you can apply or whatever. I got the other thing, which I don't know if anyone, maybe it was just me. They created it. You were the you were one of one. I, yeah, <laughs> on yeah, one. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> hey, Cheryl, would you run off a few copies of this? Le- no, actually, we, this one just will one, do. Just one, just one Yeah, exactly. Do. do you want a backup? Nope, just need the one. <laughs> exactly. It's never going to be replicated again. <laughs> exactly. You know what? If we have to send out another one, I'll just write it out myself. <laughs> we'll just draw a big <laughs> thumbs down and send that out. You know, you know, we can do that because we're artists. <laughs> I eventually went into college with the idea that I would go into advertising because I thought I'm a good writer. I thought, you know, I'll go into copywriting and yeah. that'll make money. But I hated that. My husband does that. He calls it the belly of the beast. <laughs> I understand. If you have the stomach for it, it can pay really well. Yeah, but, but it's a it's a whole other entity. And especially if, if you're geared towards the art yeah. and you have any talent for art, it can get you jobs in there and you'll never think of art again. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it'll just slowly make your insides wither. At City College, what made it worse for me as, as a guy, I, I didn't know when I applied. I was a communications major with a specialty in advertising, and I discovered that basically they had like two copywriting classes and all the other crap I had to take with journalism, which I had no interest in. And This, this sounds it, like a fake curriculum course is what it sounds uh, yeah, like. Yeah, they wanted to uh, make it appear that they had more options than they actually yeah. had. And again, that may have changed, you know. I found the education there was good. It just wasn't the education that I was seeking out. And along the way, I fell in love with acting. And by the third year, all of my my schedule was theater classes. Going you know, for the big bucks. Although, you know, I say that, but I graduated with a theater degree. So I did the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> what happened with me was that, you know, I had had it drilled into me that you cannot make a living at this. They were kind of supportive of any, like really Yeah, and we showed of, them we're in a living room. Uh, <laughs> With some Where, microphones. It, so take that city college and ORU. <laughs> but anyway, but yeah, so while I was wrestling with, I can't take the major that I want to, but I've got this other thing that I've got to do and my brain just shut down. Well, fuck it. We're not writing papers anymore. So if, if I didn't have to turn in a paper, I got an A in the class. And if I didn't, I got an F. That's pretty black and white. <laughs> But I like that you went guns blazing. You're like, if I'm going down, I'm going down hard. Yeah, well, it wasn't a conscious decision. It was my brain did that without consulting with me. I've had a few of those moments. (laughs) I understand. So as a result, I had seven lovely years at City College, and someday I'm going to go back and get my bachelor's. There you go. There you go. I have all the faith. So, but you got your degree. I did. All right. So you did get the theater degree. What was the path to that? I didn't want to finish with a music degree. That was to get 
into college. I had stopped playing piano. When I was a kid, I did it classically. I did competitions and stuff in Chicago. Your choice or parents? They started me in piano lessons, but they never, well, my dad did. I don't even think he knows I still play piano. <laughs> he, he was absent a lot of those years. He didn't really care. My mom put me in lessons, but she wasn't like a stage mom at all. She dropped me off at my recitals and she's like, all right, I'll pick you up in an hour. I'm like, oh, you're not going to stay. So it's something to keep you occupied. Yeah, but I was good at it and I liked it. And so I was kind of self-motivated. And then I stopped for a while. And then at the end of high school, when I was like, oh shit, I need some money for a summer. That's all I did was just play piano six hours a day just to get this audition tape. I knew I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life because it's hard. (laughs) So I did it for the first year. And then I was like, I want to switch majors. Didn't know what I want to do. I kind of did a similar thing where I went in communications. I was a a PR major. I liked it. I liked the the creative part of it, but I didn't like that it was all kind of behind the scenes and stuff. So Mm. then at that time, I was kind of over the school where I was like, their beliefs don't line up with my beliefs, becoming more of my own person. And I was like, I can't stay here anymore. So I tried to transfer out. The problem, I don't know what their curriculum is now. But back then, your general ed class, your gen ed class is that you had to take, which, you know, I think in most colleges, like English 101, this kind Mm -hmm. of thing. We had gen eds that were like charismatic life in the healing ministry, New Testament, you know, it's like, so when I tried to transfer out, I was going to go to a conservatory in Chicago where they actually had real classes. So I sent them my transcripts and they basically responded how you two responded, where they're like, this isn't real. <laughs> they're like, none of this transfers. I was going to be a junior and they told me that I would have to start over as a freshman. I was like, I don't have any money. Like I can't start yeah. over. And then I looked at the American Musical and Dramatic Academy in New York and it was kind of the same situation, but their curriculum is a little different anyways. I couldn't afford it anyway. I sliced it. So by default, I ended up graduating from there because I couldn't go anywhere else. And so I kept finding ways to get money there. Like I became an RA, uh, which was laughable, um, (laughs) like laughable because I gave zero fucks. I think that's why I was very popular. It was. Hey, you're not like the rest of us. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I know. Oh, trust me. I know. I want to spend time with you. Yeah, I was very popular. I had uh, all the people on my floor liked me because they were very strict. They're like, I don't think it's like this anymore. But at the time it was like very 1950s. And this was only in like the late 90s, early 2000s where Mm. We all had to wear skirts to class. The girls did. Like, the guys couldn't have facial hair. Girls had a curfew. Guys didn't. It was a little, it was fucked up. But but the the guys didn't have to wear the skirts. No, unless they just really wanted to. But the girls could wear the beards. Um, Oh, but that's... that's, (laughs) And in the theater program, many of them were. (laughs) Seems a little unfair. Yeah. Uh. (laughs) So it was just very, very strict. And I... um, like you have bed checks, like you're already supposed to come around and check and make sure you're in your room. And it was just very strict and I didn't care. So <laughs> I like, I, I, so I was, what happened if you break curfew? Oh God, this was, I mean, it was so long ago. It was a year ago. Cause I'm so young. Um, <laughs> we I'm will back your story. It's audio. Yeah, remember it's you. audio. If you broke curfew, I'm trying to remember they'd give you, you'd have like a series of like warnings and, and nothing really bad. It, like, I think you'd get a fine 
um, they'd fine you for breaking curfew or, oh, or they would can't, they'd campus you is what they call. So you would lose your privileges of going off campus on the weekends. It's basically like you're living with a parent. They basically ground you. Right. You know, it's, I don't know, maybe it's changed a lot, you know, and I have people that have a lot of good experiences and I, and I, I did have some good experiences there. It's a lot of people that either their parents send their kids there because they do have trouble kids and they mm-hmm. kind of see it as like a boarding school and like, oh, it's strict. So they're going to be, you know, people are going to lay down the hammer on them. Right. Or it's really like earnest kids who are like, I love Jesus and I'm going to be a virgin until I'm like 30, you know, which is fine. Do you? You either have very sheltered people mm. or you have like the riffraff that gets sent in because <laughs> they think they're going to get reformed. Right. So and 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 I would imagine for a lot of those folks, you know, it, 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 instead of, oh, this is going to help them get their shit together. Like, oh, I like a challenge. You either. Yeah. You either lean in real hard or it just you just rebel more. And I was somewhere in the middle. Like I was like eh, following the program for the first two years. And then <laughs> after that, I was like, fuck this, you know, and then I like I had a key to get out of the dorm. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, you know, OK, after midnight when I'm supposed to be in, we go out and then I have a friend who has a car and then we go smoke a bunch, you know, and it wasn't even that bad. It's like you smoke a pack of cigarettes at like midnight by a river, which I mean, that's what you do in Oklahoma, I guess. I don't know. Right. Like in a van by the river. But it wasn't anything really that bad. Or like you go out drinking and we had to sign an honor code, what it was called, where you say like, I'm not going to have sex. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to smoke. Like everything you do in college. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, you're, like not, you're not going to have a college This experience. is a college, right? Yeah, yeah. this is kind of. Um <laughs> So I broke all those rules, <laughs> you know, but it's not even like you're breaking. It's like you're not even really doing anything bad. It's mm-hmm. I don't know, hindsight, but some good stuff happened out of there. And I met my husband there. Was he a bad boy? No, <laughs> he was fine. Not until you got to not, him. actually, I was going to say we started hanging out. But um, no, hey, I want to come over to the dark side. You know, he was kind of a. And other because you had to live on campus unless you had a family member. And he had a family member who lived (laughs) nearby and like it it wasn't really a family. It was like a friend of the family anyways. (laughs) So he lived off campus. So he wasn't like your traditional, you know, on campus all the time and doing this like he had a life outside of this very small bubble. I met him like my junior year. And I didn't even know that he went to school there because, <laughs> well, because everyone it's, it's kind of incestuous in a way. Cause you do, everyone lives on campus mostly. So you see the same people all the time and you have to go to chapel a couple of times. Like it's mandatory chapel. It's mandatory okay. this. So you just see all these people all the time. And I was like, you've been going to school here for three years. I've never seen you in my life. <laughs> like, <laughs> he figured out how to do it. Yeah. I was, he, he figured it out. Right. So yeah. <laughs> so you mean you don't have to, Break out? (laughs) How did you get parole? How did that happen? (laughs) Show me your ways, you know? Really? So, but then when we were dating, it turned out to be like an extra bonus because you have to say where you're going. See, now I'm, I'm, oh, my secrets 20 years later or whatever, but like, who cares? But you have to say where you're going. You have to sign out to get off campus and you have Mm -hmm. to give an address and a phone number. So if they call... I mean, it's like your parents, like if you like when you lie to your parents and you're like, I'm going to Becky's house, you know, and then really you're like sleeping with your boyfriend. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's basically what it was. It was like, I, you know, I'm going to 
Judy's house, and then I spend the weekend with with my boyfriend at his house. You know, we're going to study Old Testament scriptures. Got to get that Gen Ed. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you ain't transferring nowhere. Yeah, so it was an interesting experience, you know. But back to the degree. So you got. So you got my official degree is drama, television, film, performance, and I'm like one class away from a music minor that I never got, and I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care to ever get it. <laughs> It'd be a little awkward to go back there now. Oh, God. Right. Oh, God. I don't think they would I'm take going me out back, to see my this, husband. Especially uh, after this podcast. They're probably going to rescind the original degree that I have. <laughs> <laughs> I can assure you there's no one from Oral Roberts University listening to the No Name Podcast. <laughs> they will when I'm done <laughs> In fact, them. that may be part of the pledge. <laughs> I will not listen. Yeah, and I'm going to have to sign your honor code that says... <laughs> I will not share this with any Oral Roberts University. That actually inspires me. I think I want to start having guests sign a thing that they will not honor. Yes. You know. A non-honor code. <laughs> exactly. I love this. Yes. <laughs> will you help me develop yes, it? Absolutely. Thank you. You have inside knowledge. Oh, I let's draft it up. <laughs> and then we'll then we'll show your school that you actually did write a paper. There you go. There you go. Well, <laughs> I did a, my first year, year and a half. It's, um, it's a win-win for both of us. I actually I, I did take it some vindication i won an english department award for writing a paper my last semester there 500 bucks and uh, i think you'll appreciate this i won it for best literary criticism the reason that i love having won that is i actually wrote a fake literary criticism over a poem that didn't exist Stop uh, it. and i wrote it under the guise of a village voice literary supplement article See, now that this information is out there in the world, they're they going to come looking for that, that. $500. <laughs> Be like, Eric Vetter, where's our $500? <laughs> I have to work out an arrange- a payment agreement. All right, here, here, here's five bucks now. Can I give you the rest next week? You should week? just yeah. call this podcast, podcast We Screw Ourselves Over <laughs> Later in Life. <laughs> By admitting all the things we did, and so that everything gets taken back. Wow, wow. So, so, it, well, we'll have trouble getting guests in the future, I guess. But <laughs> just find the, all the other derelicts that hey, do yeah. the same thing. That's or the people who, who give zero fucks now, right? <laughs> so, you know what? I never wanted your fucking degree anyway. There we go. You escaped from Oral Roberts. Yeah, I escaped and, with and a school you, loan, yes. And you've got your degree. What are you thinking you're going to do? Daytime bartending. No, I, which I actually I did. <laughs> When I got out of there, I went back home and I worked. I had the shittiest hours. I was, yeah, you have this theater degree and you're like, okay, what are you going to do? I was at my parents' house. So they're in the suburbs of Chicago. So I started looking up these auditions that they would have in Chicago. So I would take the commuter line into Chicago and audition for like dinner clubs that were looking for singers or dancers or things like that. And then I got a job at a bakery and I was working from 11 p.m. till seven in the morning every night. Wow. It was super fun. And I was also doing stand up at the time. So I would go into the city, do stand up do these auditions and then when i whenever my schedule was for this bakery and just lived like a vampire did you ever miss sleep yeah <laughs> i wouldn't do it again i don't recommend it <laughs> yeah i had to like get blackout curtains for like it's tough you know you just yeah. don't live a regular schedule but at the time my then boyfriend now husband he was studying abroad in spain 
So it actually worked out really well, the time difference, because I was awake oh, nice. <laughs> when he was awake. So we did long distance for you, a year. You were asleep while talking to him, but yeah, you were- Yeah, I, I was never saying anything that interesting anyways. It's fine. <laughs> uh, so I was doing that. And then um, one of the auditions I got was for a children's theater tour that was mm. going to go on the East Coast. And I booked that gig- and it was three months, a three month tour on the East Coast. And we'd go to schools and stuff like that. We did Aesop's Fables and mm. it was not glamorous. We drove around in a van with PVC pipes. And I, I actually want, want, want to take a step back for a second because you, you mentioned singing. You had not previously mentioned singing. Where did singing come into the picture? I know the piano world at an early age. Yeah, the singing. I had always loved musicals when I was like in high school and junior high. Well, I had tried out for stuff and I never got cast. I never got cast in anything. They're lost. Take that Crystal Lake Community Theater. Um, but I, 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 I just I just gave a double middle finger up <laughs> on an audio podcast. This is no, not- it translates. It tra- They felt it. <laughs> right then everyone felt a chill in their spine. They're like, what the fuck was that? That was your double finger. You just got doubled by Eric. That's the podcast name. (laughs) But in high school, I tried out for another community theater production of The King and I, and that was the first thing I got cast in. Mm -hmm. And I I love that. And then college, I got cast in musicals. So I started singing more and I did choir and stuff in college. So college, I really started singing more. And then it came later on. I did more community theater. So I did this theater tour and that was my first time coming to New York. That was my first time seeing like Philly and all this stuff and The tour ended, I came back home and I was kind of like, now what? You know, I don't want to keep living with my parents. I really wasn't with my parents that long. You know, I got the gig pretty fast and worked there for a while. And then Kyle, my husband, had come back from Spain. I was like, well, even though like I don't necessarily like, oh, love Oklahoma. I had a lot of friends there because of school. Kyle was there. And so I decided to move there. So he came with a truck and packed up like my seven boxes of shit. And and, um, I moved out of my parents and the friend that he had been living with said I could live with him. This nice man, his name was Hal. He's now RIP. At the time, he was like 65. I just loved him and he loved me and he let me live there free while I um, went into a cool depression wondering what was going to be of my life. Yeah, (laughs) Got a job at P.F. Chang's and I was like, well, this is life. (laughs) <laughs> depressed in someone else's house with a theater degree at being a daytime bartender at P.F. Chang's. Well, I think all of that pretty much goes with getting the theater degree. Right. <laughs> you know, there, there, there aren't a lot of stories about, and no. this was my springboard to success on Broadway. Yeah. Uh, no. And my, my niece right now, one of my nieces is getting a music degree mm. and I'm like, just don't do that. Like, don't, <laughs> don't, don't get a music degree. Don't get a theater degree. Don't like, don't like it's, it's so, you know, well, I don't know. If, if you tough. do, don't think this is going to be the key to anything other than I got a college degree. Get ready to have roommates. Get ready to <laughs> hustle your ass off. Get ready to have some shit gigs. Get ready for your future. <laughs> uh, Reach for the but, stars, kids. Uh, you know, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Please make sure that your roommates leave enough room, at least in the corner somewhere, for all the depression you're going to be bringing. Oh in yeah, with you. oh yeah, yeah. You're going to have fun working through that. <laughs> exactly. Good stuff for therapy when you can afford it. Fifteen years down the line, if you're successful, and this enough. is me in a good mood. I'm actually very positive today. <laughs> 
<laughs> this is me being optimistic. <laughs> well, you know, glad we could help. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> the goal is to get successful enough to be able to afford the therapy to help you cope with all with the road you got to. Yeah, the- <laughs> yeah, exactly. With all of the disappointments and the what happened to my dreams. All right, so you're, you're in Oklahoma. I'm in and Oklahoma. You're, you're day bartending. Day bartending. And right, you got married yet? Not then, but we eloped shortly after. I got married very young. I got married at 23. Okay. So we eloped, and then literally the next day. And you're still together. Night work. Is this a bad time to tell you it's not working out? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so um, I think <laughs> no, we're setting fine. up the sequel thing where, where we just begin with discussing therapy. Yeah, and- yeah. It all plays in. Uh-uh. So yeah, we eloped, and then the next day I just went to work at PF Chang's like nothing had ever happened. Like mm-hmm. that was it. But around that time, I was doing a lot of community theater, and it's a small theater, but they actually do have a really beautiful performing arts center there, and they do have a lot of Broadway shows that go through there. Yeah. And I got to do shows there. And so what was happening was I was getting to a point where I didn't have to audition anymore. They would just call oh, me yeah. up and say, do you want this part in the show? Because they had seen me do stuff, and that was really nice. I also then had gotten a new job, uh, one of the stage managers in a show I was doing, she knew I played piano and Mm. that I had this background. And she said, I work at this charter school. They're looking for an adjunct choir teacher. You should apply Mm. and I can put in a good word for you. And I was like, I hate children. Like, (laughs) (laughs) so it's a good fit. Yeah. I was like, there's no way this won't blow up in my face. I was like, I don't have an education degree. I'm what, not what age kids are we talking? High school, you know. School. But still, oh, yeah, yeah, no, no. They're assholes. <laughs> you know, high school kids are assholes. There's nothing more terrifying to me than like walking out on the street at like 2 p.m. and you just see like a gaggle of teenage boys. I'm like, oh my God. Like, it's the scariest thing in the world. I was like, I don't know. Long story short, I consulted with some friends who were I consulted with my old college choir teacher. I had a friend mm-hmm. who was a high school teacher. And they kind of got me up to speed really fast. And I interviewed and I got the job. And I was only, again, like 23. So I'm teaching 18-year-olds. So it's not a big age gap. And I looked really young at the time, too. Uh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I had a baby face for a long time. So people could never tell if I was the teacher or the student. Like, I got confused for the students all the time. But because of that, I was a really strict teacher because I wanted to... Yeah, you had to establish, yeah, I'm not sab- you. I'm not you. And so when I tell people I used to be a teacher, they're like, oh, I bet you were so fun. I was like, no, I was kind of an asshole. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was really strict. We did have fun classes, and I'm still in touch with a lot of my students. But during that time, it's funny you mentioned Broadway before. So it just happened at the time. This was like 2000, I don't know, five, six. Hairspray, the musical, was on Broadway. Mm. And they ran this contest I think it was in like Ladies Home Journal or something. I don't even know if that's still around or Good Housekeeping, something like that. It was an online internet dance contest. It was national. And you upload a video of yourself dancing to one of the songs from the show for 30 seconds. They were going to take all these submissions and then cut it down to 10 and then cut it down to three and then cut it down to one. And the winner was going to be flown to New York and you get to dance in Hairspray on Broadway for a number so I was teaching at the time and I don't know, I don't know why I was so confident. Maybe because I was like in my twenties, you know, and you're like, oh, I don't really know real disappointment. Like you're just like, oh, I'm, this is my dream. Yeah. So during one of my free hours during school, I recorded this video of me dancing to a song from Hairspray and I had the band teacher help me upload it because I was so 
I mean, I, I still had a MySpace at the time. Like I did not know how to, I really don't know how to do much more than that now. <laughs> but so he helped me upload this video and um, long story short, I won the contest. And it was on online voting. So it helped that I was a teacher because I had all these <laughs> students that were like, dun, 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 vote, 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 vote. it helped to have a bunch of little like cyber kids just voting all the time. <laughs> so I won the contest and then got to do the Broadway thing. And it was cool. I picked up the routine really fast. And so they said, we'll put you in two more numbers. So instead of just doing one, I got to do three. Oh, very scenes. cool. Yeah, it was really cool. The Tulsa News, they sent a whole news crew up here with me and they were documenting the whole thing. So I have all these news clips of like my whole journey. And then there was a reporter from New York who caught wind of this and he documented the whole thing. And for like two years after I moved here, he kept documenting me. And he, now he's one of my closest friends. Like I just talked to him the other day. <laughs> you go down that path and he's either <laughs> got to be good friends or, or order of protection. That's oh, pretty yeah. Much- it's, yeah. Either a restraining order or I've had Thanksgiving with them. I've had yeah. Thanksgiving with them. <laughs> exactly. So, so it's kind of cool because very early on when I, the whole Broadway hairspray thing and moving to New York, I have a very so deep. That's how you came to yeah, well, in New York, right? Yeah, well, because like an asshole, I was like, oh, this is easy. I've already been on Broadway. Like, <laughs> I've done it. Like, people have tried for years. I just, I've done it. So I was like, let's go to New York. I've already done it. Like, I'm in. <laughs> 20, 15, 20 years later, and I finally made, I, I finally made on the Eric Vetter podcast. That's. <laughs> and honestly, I, you would not be here without that degree. So. <laughs> Yeah, that, we, we have our standards. That's what opened it up. Exactly. That's what opened it up. So <laughs> I was thinking when I was teaching, I was like, I either want to go because I was still doing stand up and improv and music theater and all of this stuff. So I either wanted to go back to Chicago and do Second City or go to New York and do musical theater. The Broadway thing happened. And I was like, oh, this is so well, simple. Why does everyone complain? This is hard, you know? Yeah. And then it was like, fuck you, Leslie. <laughs> <laughs> The the universe looking itself in the mirror and saying, yep, got another one. It was like, Uh, let's just set her up real high so the fall will be funnier. (laughs) So we decided to come here. Like, we were just so broke. We sold everything. We were very lucky, though. We found this little studio apartment in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. Just scraping by, you know. I was doing a bunch of open mics, a bunch of stand up and improv. And that's where I met Cambry Cruz. And yeah, and that's how I got into that Ochi's Lounge Comics Comedy Club group. And that's when I started my show. And that's how I met Leona, you know, and then it's just years of, you know, how this goes. You meet this person, you do this. And then I got into storytelling and then you meet all these storytellers. So you're at Ochi's Lounge. Yeah. We probably passed each other at some point. Oh, I'm sure. And we were at Ochi's Lounge for a few months until, until it just closed. before it closed. Yeah. yeah. That was like the second or third place that we, you know, that had a nice profile that we were doing well. And they were like, I'm sorry, we, we got to pull the plug on that. And like, oh, what did we do? And then a month later, they're down. Like, so we can add that to our resume. Killed another venue. I, um, <laughs> I know when you look back, even like the past 15 years, like all the like regular haunts you'd go and how many of them are just defunct and all the shows that were going and everything. So initially you're at Ochi's Lounge Mm -hmm. doing stand-up. Yeah, and I was very not good. (laughs) (laughs) I would would say bad. I was bad. I was not good. It was funny. I did a show way when I was just at the beginning, and I was in Ochi's Lounge, and I was doing a show with Kate, and Kate McKinnon was on the lineup. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So this is probably like 2008. And I 
don't remember if she was on the Big Gay Sketch Show yet, but we were on the same lineup and she was doing this character of a grandma. And she was, you know, she's not anywhere the fame, you know, she was still pretty unknown. Right. But I just remember seeing her and I was like, she's so good. Like even back then I was like, she's so good. And then, you know, not long after she just blew up. It was all like Kamel Nanjiani. I did shows mm. with him, Reggie Watts, yeah. Kate McKinnon, that whole group. John Mulaney was in that group. Nick Kroll was in that group. There was amazing people at that time. Um, Alana Glazer, she did my show. I did her show at UCB. She had a show with her, I think it was with her brother called Talent Show. Let me ask you this. How, how do you wind up doing stand-up? <laughs> I don't think I should have ever been doing stand-up. <laughs> well, well I, because, We're not asking you to justify <laughs> it. I'm just curious what, what was in your brain that said, hey, I think I'll do that. Depression and masochism, which is what every good stand-up has. I think. Mean, no. Fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. I just loved like Steve Martin and like that was a big influence in my life. And I just wanted to do comedy. I got into improv troops here later and I had done it before, but just trying it out and wanting to do that. And then, you know, Sarah Benincasa, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So she was doing that show, Family Actually, Hour. Actually, because of her that I know Cambry, because Cambry was a regular. Yes, on, on her show. Her show, yeah, yeah, so yeah. So she at Ochi's was running the show called Family Hour with Auntie Sarah. Mm, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and you do five minutes of family stories. And because my family was so fucked up, I was like, oh, I have material there. Like <laughs> I was I was trying to write all this obscure material and avant-garde comedy, but like a little Sarah Silverman, but it just mm. didn't work. And I told a story and she came up to me afterwards and she said, that's what you need to be doing. She's like, mm. that's... Your good stuff. And okay. her boyfriend at the time, Chez, he was there. And I had, then I, she had me on another time. And he also told me, he's like, this is your best stuff. You should mind this. So I started a storytelling show, Sideshow Gosh, go down mm -hmm. there. And that's when storytelling was kind of blowing up. I never did the moth, even though <laughs> I've gotten introduced as a moth Grand Slam champion as more <laughs> times than I can tell you. Like, whatever, I'll take well, it. You know, credits are funny that way, though. Like, I mean, in New York, I don't think there's any place that commits daily felonies on that sort yeah, of right? stuff more than New York. You yeah, know, it's, it's like, you've seen this guy on Letterman, Conan's like, no, no, you haven't. You haven't, and also nobody cares, in fact, and nobody been checks asked up. to leave when they were in the audience. Yeah, like, you know? I'm just like, yeah, people ask me, they're like, what do you want your credits? I'm like, I make it up. I don't care. Like, and the audience doesn't really care. I mean... Fine. I, oh, you're on letter. Yay. You know, like, if you suck, you suck. And then it doesn't matter. I never did the moth, but I got into my friend Andy Christie had the liar show. Oh, yeah. And um, he'd been a guest on, on our show, not I, on the podcast, but adore him. Love yeah. him. Um, and there was just a bunch of storytelling shows that were going on. And so I got really into that. And that, like, hey, if I start a storytelling show, no one can tell me I can't go on. Well, I wasn't even performing on my own show. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> There's that high self-esteem. You were self -esteem. by the time I saw it. Yeah, there's that high self-esteem. Um, <laughs> actually, Peter Aguero, uh, way back in the day, he was like, uh, you need to be telling a story on your show. Mm -hmm. I basically had the show as kind of, I wanted to have a show where people could come in and do stuff for a free show because I was so poor and I couldn't afford. So I wanted to put on a show that anyone could go to. And then also, you know, you can book people. It's a form of currency in a way. You know, you do my show, I'll do yours. All sure. this. But he told me, he said, you're missing a huge opportunity that you're not 
performing. Isn't that so right? Right, Gary? It's like, oh, wow. I didn't even think about it. You don't have to audition for this one. Yeah, you're already hired. It's your show. So Should, was, should I at least sign up? No, you don't have no, to sign just, up. just fucking tell a story. So I was like, oh, really? Okay. So then I, I would started telling stories on my own show. Ochi's and comics closed. And then I moved over to the KGB bar. And I was their only storytelling show there for a long, long time. We were there for 10 years. Our 11th anniversary was January of 2020, and then the world blew up. Your storytelling show was pretty much the best I ever Aww, thought. It, it was the you. only show that I actually, no, it's not true. It's not the only show. It was one of the very, very few shows I actually planned to go see, uh, not because. That's actually the hugest compliment because, <laughs> well, yeah, well, you, you know, know like it, when you're it, a performer, you know, it, it takes a thing to like, if you're not just going to like, oh, my friend's doing that show okay i'll go to that or whatever right. like if you have a night off like if i have a night off well that's the thing i'm not exactly. going anywhere like because you know we're all these we're all these fucking nightlife vampires if i don't have to be out till one in the morning or if i'm not hustling for a gig or if i'm not doing a set or if i'm not whatever like i am in my house with my cat <laughs> drinking. yeah <laughs> and, but so, yeah, I, I actually did mean it as that kind so of compliment I, that's a huge because compliment. anytime I went and I was, because I remember, you know, it, you were talking about pulling the plug on it a long time before pandemic. I've, yeah, I've tried to stop the show a couple times. You know, and, and well, keep trying to get out, keep pulling keep me back pulling in. pulling me right back in. Let, let's talk about that because that, I mean, that is a, a very much loved show. Thank the, you. The, the New York Times was very effusive in their praise They were very nice. To, yeah, they, they list us quite a few times and we were in the New Yorker and we got to do Impractical Jokers because of that. A producer from that show had seen it and then it was years later they had remembered us and they're like, we, I've always wanted to do a thing with you and now we can finally do it. So we had a lot of good stuff from that. You're suddenly thrust into the, the position of, of running a very well-regarded show when you weren't even immersed in the storytelling scene at that point. Did you get any pushback from people like, hey, hey, why her? By that time, I had been in storytelling for a while. I mean, I, I was very new to storytelling when I started the show at Ochi's, mm. but then over those next, God, I mean, it was like 10 years from that first year, you know, I got pretty immersed in storytelling. Like, I had gotten on This American Life a couple times, mm. even though they got cut. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I would always get phone calls or like, because at the end, Ira Glass would be like, and special thanks to Leslie Goshko. And they're like, I heard you. And I was like, even though I had no story, I was like, all I need is Ira Glass to say my name. That's fine. I don't have to do anymore. I get you. Were you enjoying it or was it just like, no, well, I, let's see where this goes? No, I really did enjoy it. I really did enjoy it. I really liked it. And I liked the scene in the fact that like stand up, it felt much more competitive and a little more cutthroat. Mm. Like, I want to get this gig. I want to get this just for laughs deal. I want to get this joke in first. I want to do that. And with storytelling, it wasn't like that because nobody else can tell your story. Right. So it's kind of like job security in a way where it's like, <laughs> no one's going to take my material. I'm not going to tell your story. You're not going to tell mine. It's going to be impossible. Mm -hmm. So you just have to make it engaging and compelling and funny if that's how you want to tell it. Right, right. You know, so, and I had such weird... I didn't think they were weird stories until I had started like talking to people and they're like, that's a story. And I was like, really? No, that's just like what happened. And they're like, no, you should do that. So I just enjoyed mining all that material and all that. What actually in like childhood and stuff was kind of like shame and guilt. And we can't talk about this because it's things that happen in the dark. You know, you don't talk about yeah, your right. dad drinking or you don't talk about this or you don't talk about how this stuff happened. 
now I could put it like in some comedic way and make it into something. So it was, it was therapeutic and it was good. And I enjoyed it for a long time. And then towards the end, I was like, I tried to stop the show. <laughs> so, so what happened? Why didn't you successfully? Oh, I made that? the big announcement. I remember specifically going to what I thought might be <laughs> the, the, the last, last show. show. <laughs> yeah, it was maybe a, more than once. <laughs> yeah, the last one where I was like, "This is it." You know, I made the big thing. I was like, "This is the last show," and everyone was like, "Oh," and that's always nice. But after that, I had so many people reaching out, like so nice, mm-hmm. so many people emailing, texting, just reaching out, being like please don't cancel the show. We love the show. We look forward to it every month. It's so good. The The venue owners loved us. Mm. Um, they're like, please. Well, yeah, y'all drew. We, I, I like. At least when I was there. Knock on Catchy Wood. You know, we were very lucky and fortunate and we had the best audience. And I still have such a good relationship with the KGB bar, Dennis mm. and Lori who run that. It was like a family and so they, why were you trying to get out? Or is it just the, the pull to run away from family? Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, but seriously, why, 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 like I, I've done everything I want to do with this. I kind of felt like leave on a high note. Towards the end, I wasn't telling stories every show. I'm, I'm kind of like, I kind of felt like I had said everything I wanted to say. And mm. I wasn't in the scene as much. Mm. Like I wasn't going to a lot of shows. I, I didn't have as much interest performing. Cause I'm like, I've heard myself say this enough. Like I was just mm-hmm. kind of over it. I was like, I feel like I, and I had done it for a decade, over a were, decade. Were you tiring of performing in general no. or just in that? Okay. Just in that way. Cause I'm still performing now. I, I felt like that had run its course. My friend Andy, and it was, this wasn't the reason why, but he had done his liar show for 10, yeah, 12 yeah, years, yeah. something like that. that, that yeah. That was and another kind, pillar. And it was kind of the same. Yeah. His was a pillar. Everyone loved that show. If it was still going, people would still be going to it. They mm-hmm. love that show. It was one of my favorite shows to perform on. He kind of had the same thing where he was kind of like, I feel like I'm, I'm done, you know, and it wasn't for lack of interest from the public. Right. And so it was kind of a similar thing. I felt like I had said everything I needed to say. So I made the big announcement, but then everyone reached out <laughs> and a friend of mine, who actually lives in Oklahoma. She used to be one of my husband's professors and we're still very close. And she said, you don't know how special it is to have like, and I don't want to say like we're an institution, but like something that was so solid at that point and had press and people knew what it was and people came. She's like, that's a special thing to build up and to maintain for all this time. And I don't disagree with her, but a bitch was tired. Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. were you feeling your your artistic self being pulled in other directions? I think at that, uh, yes, that was like 2019, 2020. 2019, I had said we were ending. I went another year. We had the 11-year anniversary in 2020. Pat Kiernan from New York One showed up. I used to be his musical director when they had a live show. So it was like, it was so nice. Like, we still had people coming. Yeah, for sure. I was still thinking about canceling it. And then, wait, well, that wasn't the question. Um, was I still performing? Was that it? Were you being drawn to other types of Oh, I was playing. It's funny. I reread a journal the other day because after the pandemic, like everything, you know, just stopped. And yeah, I wait, was, that, was that what finally killed off the show? Well, that is what killed off the show. But I was being drawn to other things. But it's such like now I look back and I'm like, and I knew it at the time when I was complaining. <laughs> 2019, everything was just autopilot. 
-hmm. was doing mm -hmm. piano karaoke every week. It was a good job. Losers Lounge. I was singing with this group called Losers Lounge at Joe's Oh, yeah, Pub. no, they're great. I love them. I still sing with them. I had Sideshow Goshko. I was doing, I do radio stuff on the side. I've been doing that for 15 years. And so everything was just autopilot. It was sailing and I was bored. <laughs> you know? Which is never good for art. Yeah, for I was artist. just bored. And I, I remember saying, I was I talked to you know my friends, I talked to my husband. I'm like, I know nothing is ostensibly wrong. Like this is a very if this is my biggest problem that I have consistent gigs in New York and I'm making money and people come to see me, like shut the fuck up. You uh, know, like 22-year-old yeah. me would have been like, shut up, bitch. Like, <laughs> just do it. But I was like, I want something else you know i feel like everything has kind of reached its point where i'm compelled to do it and i don't want to just do this for the final death rattle so that's why i like yeah. wanted to stop the show that's why i was looking for new things they would take me back right and during, right 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 and so you know of course pandemic happened <laughs> and for a little bit i was like well that solved my show problem like uh, yeah <laughs> there was actually quite a few things that i was doing that i kind of wanted to stop and i didn't know mm. how to stop but Lori and Dennis, I'm still contacting you about the show. I want to do like a fine. I'm going to talk to them if they're listening. I'm not well, hiding. <laughs> I've talked to them in the meantime. Uh, unless or you suppress it as a podcast. <laughs> I find that in, in, interesting to hear you talking about it that way. I, I can't say I experienced what you were experiencing, but at the end of February, No Name turns 29. Yeah, you're insane. And <laughs> I don't know. Your show's been going. God. Since 94. Um, I, yeah. But here, here's bless. the thing. I, I bring this up not to make a thing about that. But the in all of that run, the only time press has ever really taken any notice of us was when we were about to turn 20. So that's almost a decade of, oh, did you say something? <laughs> You're still Apparently, here. no, we did not. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. It's the only time in my life I was actually reached out to by several people uh, about doing interviews about it or whatever. Yeah. It, I won't lie. It, it was a little, that was kind of exciting. And five years later, when we turned 25, like no one covered us for anything. And I was like, well, we did it for five more years. Shouldn't that get a little yeah, more? Yeah, shouldn't anyway. that be something more? But when, when I was doing these interviews, uh, something I came to say, and it wasn't anything that I constructed in my brain, but I, I said it once, and I'm like, no, this explained it. And people were that, like, how do you keep doing something like that for 20 years? And I said, well, basically, I just never figured out how to stop doing it. You it's, know? It's hard to figure. And then if you're... And I wasn't trying, but it, you yeah. know what I mean? It's like... And to some extent, a part of your identity gets wrapped up in that because it's like, you know, I'm Eric and this is my show and blah, blah, blah. And or like you send off a bio. Like right now, someone asked me, I had to send a bio for something. And it always starts off. Leslie Goshko is the host and creator of Sideshow. And I'm like, well, I kind of haven't been around for three years, but I mean, I dig, you know, and it's. That was like always the credit that people would put. I, I wish they would have put the Broadway credit, but whatever. <laughs> Fuck you, Presno. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was a weird thing. And then the pandemic kind of made it stop. Mm -hmm. And then they did come back and they were like, we're starting to put shows in. But side note, I didn't need a pandemic to be a germaphobe. Like, I did not need a pandemic for that. Right. I, I'm a OCD germaphobe way before the pandemic. So mm -hmm. the pandemic was a fucking nightmare for me. A nightmare. Like I can, I I can was, imagine. I can imagine. I, I, I remember one of your stories about uh, 
cutting your foot on a piece of glass or something. Oh, yeah, that was the trash knife. Yes, yes. I stepped into a knife that was sticking out of a trash can. Oh, that knife, yes. That was right. Oh, God, yeah, I remember that story. Oh, yeah, I was just like, and there's AIDS. Um, It was really, really hard for me. And so when they asked me back, I was like, there's no way I'm ready. (laughs) I was like, are you fucking kidding? Yeah. No way. And, And not just germane to them, like my piano karaoke was like are you coming back and i was like nope anyone who asked me to do anything i was like nope nope Mm. nope 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 and i was like a hardcore hermit like i wouldn't even leave my house like like people would be like oh if you go outside it's fine nope like i dug in hard and i was one of the last people at any place i was to get back to any kind of any i'm still like one of the last masks standing i'll I'll probably be the last mask standing on the planet but (laughs) Yeah, it was really hard for me. So when they asked me to come back, you know, and they were so nice. They're like, anytime you're ready, they were like, we'll hold your night for you and we'll give you first refusal. I mean, wow. they, they just couldn't be nicer. And I did write them and I said, in all transparency, I said, I don't know what I want to do with the show. You know, please, if someone else wants that night, please feel free to give it to them. I don't know what I'm going to do yet. Mm-hmm. And they were still so nice. They're just like, and to have a relationship, I've worked with so many you know, you work with so many venues or producers or people or hosts. If you can get a really respectful, reciprocal relationship with a venue and especially the owners, it's like gold. And I've had yeah, that. With, and it, it is really hard to it attain is so that. So rare. when you do, it's like. Yeah. And to have a venue that'll even last that long. You can have a, <laughs> you know, you can have a venue and you'll be like, oh, it was so good. And then they went out of business. You know, KGB Bar has been there forever. Yeah. 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 And I got to be there with them for 10 of our 11 years. Mm-hmm. And they're still the loveliest, loveliest people and venue. And I can't say enough highly about them. In the back of my mind, I still have that. You heard it here first, folks, because I haven't told anybody. I still have in my mind, I do want to do a final. I won't call it like we're never doing it again, but I'm just going to say the infinite hiatus and do one last final kind of thing because we never got to really have that. It just kind of went in the pandemic. And then our third annual final show. We're just going to be like the Stones, you know, it's just never going to, it's never going to end. <laughs> but even during the pandemic and then coming out, you know, we're still kind of in it, but I've had storytellers write me and say, are you going to come back? Is it going to come back? I, yours was one of the only shows I like doing. And it's so nice to hear. And then I feel like a real dick. Cause I'm like, I'm, I'm not putting on real clothes today. Like I'm not even trying. <laughs> right, right. I'm sorry. I want to, did you bring that up? I have to ask you, did you drink find, a lot? Oh yeah. Like early, <laughs> early on in pandemic, did you have people, especially if it's people you would never consider booking, like reaching out to you for spots? Hey, you coming back? No, I had like, it was like my, I had like kind of like a group that was kind of my core group that I would often bring back. Right, right. But again, because I wasn't in, I, towards the end, I wasn't getting out in the scene as much. And that was also a reason I was like, this isn't fair. I, I understand that. You know, so you're like, look, I know I can just go down this endless list and these people all do solid work. So let's yeah. just, whoever's available, bam, plug them in. Yeah, it was basically like every fourth time you see the same photographs of the same people were just in different outfits. It looks like we all just showed up and then came with four different outfits and it's because I just kept booking the same people. Uh, yeah. Um, but those were the people who reached out, which actually meant a lot because I'm such a fan of all of their work. I, I See, I get people reaching out who I, I'm not so much fan uh, well, now, like, well, I wouldn't book you before the show. Why do you I, I think mean, before I'd book pandemic? Now. I'm sorry. No, 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 because it's a little mean. Be, but no, you know. it's not mean. Fuck, fuck those people. <laughs> <laughs> 
Because I get those things. I didn't get it so much at the end, but like there's, you know, you do a show for a long time, you know, and you get these people. Hey, uh, can you book me on your show? Uh, I do this and I'm real funny and da, da, da. They've never taken the time to come see your show. They've never taken the time to introduce you. They don't even send like a link or something. They don't like all these people. This That's what would get me is I always hated that, that this um, entitlement, even though you've shown no effort to actually look at what I'm doing. Yeah. And, and it probably just got your name off of some list they saw or listing site they saw. Yeah. Somewhere. And then they're like, oh, hey, book me. Like, fuck off. It, I, yeah. <laughs> I have very little tolerance for that because I remember back in the day, back in the day, I wouldn't even presume you know, I would go to a show and see what it was, first of all, to see if if the vibe is right. Maybe what I do isn't right with that vibe. Yeah. It wouldn't do either of us a favor. So go see the show, introduce myself to the host, follow up, you know, just be like a fucking person. Like if you want not this just, hey, you're going to book me on a show. Yeah. You don't know anything about yeah. me and I'm not going to give you the time of day, but you do me a favor. Uh, yeah, exactly. Now I'm giving the double fingers like. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I that totally was one understand. thing. As a, did you experience this? I can tell you, it. yes, already. Whatever <laughs> you're about to say, yes, I did. Yeah, and I'm, you know what? There's no point in going on because I knew you were going to say yes, so we understand each other. Yeah. No, no, but th- this is the one that I love. It would hit you with the, you know, uh, I kind of do a spot on your show, and you've never heard of them before, and that's all right. I don't know everybody out there. By well, my long favorite stretch. is they say, "I'd love to do slideshow gosh go," and I'm like. <laughs> Well, sure, go do that show because it's not this one, you colossal fuck who can't even get the name right. (laughs) So lesson number one. Get the name of the show right. Yeah. That was Um, a little harsh. Maybe I shouldn't. My husband tells me I overreact sometimes. uh, Well, no. Like a hysterical woman. No. You know, if if you have any, uh, any uncertainty... Don't include the name of the show. Just say, I want to work with you. you. But I would get this, you know, uh, they begin with the offer, with the bargaining. I have a show too. I'll put you on my show if you put me on yours. And I would generally say it's really nice of you to offer. Oh, you're some... already so much nicer than I am. I don't uh, even well, say that. Well, <laughs> you know, it's it, ACOA. But <laughs> I knew there'd be no explanation necessary. Here's the thing. I, I, I would say, look, uh, so first of all, you know, I, you've never seen me. So my advice is that it's your show. That's your name on there. Don't offer spots to people you've never seen before. Because right? I might suck and I don't want to drag your show down. And um, yeah, I did. But, that, but you can tell right but off the, the bat that it's amateur hour. Uh, yeah. When someone's doing that. I haven't seen you perform. You haven't seen me, but let's do a little swappy swap or like put me like it's like, no. Yeah. What I would say is I'd recommend that you come check out the show. See if it's something you'd like to do. Yeah. And let me get a chance to see your work and we, you know, we'll see I would whatever. Say that. And I would never hear from them again. Yeah, That was one nobody- way to take care of it. Like be nice. Yep. And make them an offer to actually be engaged with what they're trying to pretend is important to them. Yeah. And you never hear from them again. And it that, weeds them out real quick. That's what I would I would say. I'd be like, thanks so much for your interest. I usually <laughs> recommend that people come see the show to see if it's a good fit. Please introduce yourself. I'd love to meet you in person. And then nine times out of ten. Oh, they don't want to do that work. They just yeah, want you to- exactly, exactly. They only reached out to you. Again, it, it's not like they even did work to get to you. Like I no. said, usually it's, I saw your list. Sometimes, you know what? I appreciated the, the being up front sometimes. Yeah, I, I saw your show listed in Time Out New York. 
uh, when that was a thing. You yeah. know, and like, and uh, I'd Remember like to do your show sometime. Why would you? Yeah. You know? I, that shit drove me crazy. But then the people who would show up and they'd introduce themselves. Hi, my name is so-and-so. I wrote you. I really like the show. And can I send you some clips or a synopsis of a story I have? Yeah, good. Boom. Then we go from there. Right, but don't right. just don't just expect this you're doing me a favor because you took the time to write an email after your second bong hit of the morning. Like, (laughs) exactly. Exactly. You know, the only time that, that anyone actually did follow through was somebody who was running a show at the Gershwin. Remember the short lived shows at the Gershwin hotel? Nope. Oh, okay. (laughs) That's Oh wait, that's right. I'm way older. Okay. (laughs) But here's the thing. That was a hot spot for a minute. But they, they're like, you know, it sounds like you've got a really great show. We may come there some night and, you know, check it out or whatever. And I'm like, oh, that'd be great. You know, and if, I, if I'm able to catch your show sometime, you know, we were usually on at the same time. But I think they were weekly. We were every other week at that point. You're just blowing my mind with that. Every other week for 29? The schedule had been different you know, depending on what venues and what year and Once whatever. Once a month was a lot for me. I'm like, how, do, how does anyone do this more than this? I will say this. Well, first of all, I want to trash somebody who, who came to the show and then I'll get to that story. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But the, no, the but they, they came to the show, they introduced themselves and never saw them again. But maybe two weeks later, I started to see the listings for their show and they were doing all the shit that we did. They oh, started yeah, they having big good. Yeah. They, they, and I spoke to a lawyer friend of mine and I said, what do I do about that? They even started offering chips. They're like, no name in oh, a bag of chips. You know, and, and, and putting that out there is a big selling point, right? And it's like, that's, you're not even creative thieves. And what I spoke to a lawyer friend of mine said, what do I do? I mean, I can't sue them. We, mm-hmm. it's like we're, we have three people in the audience every week. <laughs> that $5 cover ain't going to cover that lawyer cost. Uh, there was no cover, so it was really <laughs> bad. And he said, well, the only thing I can suggest to you is go to their show and find something of theirs that you like and steal. And I actually did that. I went there and there was nothing about the show that I wanted, but they did sometimes have some good people. So I went there a couple of times and after the show, Hey, would you like to do my show? You know? And so we got some good people that way. Yeah. Um, It's so tacky. I had something similar happen once and it was more in the beginning of the show, but like, I didn't even have a website. I had like a blog spot or something. Mm. But a friend of mine was an artist and he had made this graphic header and the coloring and the way it was and sideshow and the story, the the byline, whatever it was at the time, was very specifically ours. I don't know how I found it, but maybe I was Googling because back then I was like, I'm going to Google and see how many hits come up for my thing. And it's like (laughs) none because nobody cared. Um, (laughs) But I found another show popped up. And it was called Sideshow Something. Same coloring, same header, same byline. And I was like, oh, fuck no. And I wrote them. (laughs) They had like a contact. Uh And I wrote them. And I was like. And did you make contact? (laughs) I made contact. I was like, yo, other me. (laughs) What's up? And I told them, I was like, this might be an oversight. But as you can see from my website and this, like we've. We started this before you. This is our header. This is our byline. This is our name. And they wrote back. 
And they were like, we didn't know. It's all just a coincidence. I was like, <laughs> but they didn't last. It didn't matter. I mean, yeah. That was the other thing. Is like, we outlasted this other show. They didn't last yeah. for that long. And I was like, anyone who, know, like, who knew your show, which was going for so long, and anyone who knew my show, which was there before, they'd be able to see. I mean, it's like, you're not really going to fool anybody. So. Right, right. It was also, <laughs> see, unlike your show where I, I attended many times and, you know, had to fight to get a seat or a standing place or whatever. Whatever. my show why are you trying to bite off of this <laughs> it, it, again we're talking a so long way back but there, there were there, you're you selling know. yourself a little short look it, i've been it, to your, it i've been now. to your show many times and also performed on your show where it was full and every table and all the bench in the back is filled do you hear that auto shrunken head <laughs> um no, no, we're, we're working on that. But um, yes, it, it got better over the years. But at the time this went down, we frequently had an audience of three or four people and two of them were homeless folks who came in to get out of the cold. Literally, not as a joke. Yeah, yeah I know. I know autos. <laughs> <laughs> but don't yeah, talk about my parents familiar. like that, okay? Uh, <laughs> don't talk about my parents like that. That's just rude. I almost wanted to put a friendly arm around them. Like, you know, you really need to set your sights a little higher, you know? <laughs> or you just go up and you're like, how do you feel about starting a career in stand-up comedy? Or even to just pull them aside and say, you're really bad at this, aren't you? Womp, womp, womp. Yeah. <laughs> 28 years later. There you go. <laughs> so Sideshow Goshko is not slated to become a regular thing again, but it may not be acknowledged currently. at some point in it may, some way. Yeah. I'm looking at doing something, hopefully, um, <laughs> they don't know it yet, KGB. Um, <laughs> but I, it's Now been, they do. <laughs> now they do. Um, it's been in my mind that I do want to do something. I don't, it's just been kind of, you know, in the Bermuda Triangle of shows right now. And it oh, might sure, sure, reemerge yeah. in some way. But I don't see it continuing in the way that, in the traditional way that I was. Right. And that, that makes sense. You know, you're, yeah. you're allowed to evolve. It's actually, I'm sure a lot of folks in the storytelling community will be happy just that you're you know, still acknowledging and, and, and treating it with, with the kindness it deserves, you know, because it, it does have a lot of meaning to a Aww. lot of people. No, but you said it just like I told you to. Well, I I think I missed a comma, but I basically read the line right. Not bad for the blind guy. Best five bucks I ever spent. (laughs) Said it just like we rehearsed. Yeah, I I, I don't think this is a real five dollar bill. But anyway, (laughs) it's a water toilet paper that I burned. (laughs) That's why it smelled familiar. Um, (laughs) Anyway, so 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 with that said, are are you? Similarly, are you feeling that way about storytelling for yourself in general, aside from your show? And uh, what other creative endeavors are you looking at, if anything, right now? Um, it's weird to say because, like, I haven't I haven't really talked to anybody, so <laughs> I haven't talked to anyone <laughs> for three years. Um, so it's a good question. I would say it sounds weird to say it out loud, um, but in general. Yes, I kind of feel that for me that with storytelling in general, I'm not really searching out like I want to get on shows right now. Like Mm -hmm. it's not that I do have some friends that have really great shows and podcasts. If they asked me to do it, I would do it. I did one. A friend of mine, Keith Sari, runs uh, one called The Volume Knob. And this this was over the pandemic. And he asked me Mm -hmm. to do it and share a story. And I was like, that's a good podcast. You know, I'll do it. Um, You know, of course, you it was so nice. You asked me to do your podcast. You know, I'll 
talk and so certain things you know i'll do but i'm not like i'm looking to go out and tell stories and i'm looking to get on stage and tell that like i'm good i'm 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 done hearing myself talk i'm I'm tired of i'm tired of me (laughs) i'm tired of me Uh, you know it's like i feel like all of those stories are out there now Mm, Um, yeah yeah until i will say like if i have something new that comes up or if i you know think now in the past three years and I'm like, Oh, there's some stories here. I didn't even realize. And I want to get them out. Then yes, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll pitch them or I'll hit up a friend or do them. But right now that's not my main focus. Um, music has become my surprisingly enough. Like that's how I make my living, which I never saw that coming. Um, nice, nice. How are you doing? Well, I don't say I make a lot of money. I just, (laughs) (laughs) that's why I have that husband to get the copywriting money. (laughs) Well, hey, you gave me something that looked like a $5 bill. So, you know. Sure. Wink, wink. Um, But, you know, that's my main gig is, you know, music right now. Right. But but in in what form, though? Well, it's 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 funny. Um, It's a lot of live piano karaoke, but I've shifted to a new venue now. Mm -hmm. And um, it's a. I don't know. Am I allowed to plug all this shit <laughs> that I name names of places? Is that allowed? Well, um, you're, you're, you're allowed to name um, names. So my main hub right now is. Uh, Our producer Gary is also a lawyer. So if there's any issues. Oh, good. Good. I have a lot of other issues I need to talk either to. Either a lawyer or a philosophy <laughs> professor. One of those. Or something like that. Yeah. Uh, doctor. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but it's at this gay bar in Brooklyn called Good Judy. Mm-hmm. And um Originally, I was supposed to start there. They were slated to open March of 2020. And what a uh-huh. horrible month to for that to be planned. Yeah. So I didn't come back there until uh, last year I started. But I host two karaoke nights there and one on Thursday, one on Saturday. And the Thursday one is a themed karaoke night. Mm-hmm. So we have different themes. But it's not just karaoke. It's become – let me backtrack a little bit. Mm-hmm. During the pandemic um, – I was working at a karaoke bar, Sid Gold's, and they did an online virtual show. And because we couldn't do karaoke in the traditional sense where people would watch because of lag times and tech issues. Yeah, yeah. But people could, you know, type in on there and say, I want to hear such and such. I want to hear such and such. And people would play them. But I did like two of those. And I'm like, this is boring as fuck. <laughs> yeah. Like, how many times are you going to hear someone say, I want to hear Sweet Caroline and you're singing by yourself in your room? It's just fucking sad. Uh, yeah. Like, no and one. Just singing Sweet Caroline alone. Anywhere is sad. Yeah. So I, what happened was. I'm sorry, Boston fans. I'm not. Uh, <laughs> so uh, what happened was I started creating these musical shows and I had different themes every week and I started introducing these little fake characters and then we came up with say, and they became, I don't want to say like a peewee's playhouse, but they were bizarre mm-hmm. and they were, I had, I have so many wigs now. <laughs> like my Amazon algorithm is fucked for life. <laughs> it's like, I need a sword, a wig and a fake potato. Like it just, <laughs> I think that's probably how I came across the singing pickle because I was always getting such weird props for these shows, Uh, you know, and I would have shows like, you know, tonight's theme is farm to table. What does that mean? I had some weird like farmer's market character and like they just became really bizarre shows. But all these people started tuning in. Now, granted, none of the other piano players were doing that. Like I just made it into this weird ass thing. Right. But it got kind of a small cult little following. Mm. And I did that for 64 straight Saturdays in a row. Wow. Every single one different. You you are the queen. No, I, I mean, <laughs> and the, I'd like, 
I, at the end of that, I was like, oh, I'm a little burnt out. Like that, that was a lot of creative output. And at the time though, I felt like I wasn't doing anything. Mm. Now I look back and I'm like, wow, that was a huge chunk. So I say all that to say I was doing a lot of creative stuff, even though I didn't realize it at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I get and then that. when I got this gig, my Thursday nights, they're not as bizarre as that. Um, but they're a, a slight mutation of it. Like we have themes. Sometimes I show up in a wig like uh, this last Thursday. I, it was Leslie's little cuties. And I was a old hack talent agent with a cigar and you come up. <laughs> so it's still karaoke, but like, it's just me being like, give, putting it in a different putting context. It in context. Yeah. So like with my performance now, there's a lot of music, but there's also a lot of comedy and hosting and weird stuff. And, um, I just found out I'm going to be doing, you know, eras and horse trade theater yeah. and th that I'm going to be doing they cause they're doing like a year long celebration of like the frigid festival and all their shows. Mm. So I'm going to have a show at the end of March. Um, and I just need to write it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, you, know, I have like you don't wait until the last minute. Yeah. No. Right. I was like, sure. Give me the date. But I already told him, I was like, oh, it's in development. <laughs> I just didn't write it yet. Um, so, I, but like, I haven't done an original, just like live, you know, in-person show that, you know, it like in this form in a, in a black box theater or something like that in a long time, mm. long time. So I'm kind of excited for that. So if like for what's next, you know, I'll keep up with my music stuff and I like and what, to. What is, what is this show going to be? Or do you know yet? Have you gotten there? Stop grilling me. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I'm like, oh, I don't know. I got this little, I got this prop over here in this wig. What can I do? That's where I'm at basically <laughs> gotcha. right now. No, no, no. That's, that's, that's Something will happen. Movie. That's what I know. Something will happen. I, You know, I, I've seen enough of your shows to know that that's true. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it'll be good, but something will happen. I'll get you a comp ticket. <laughs> well, I'll all right. I'll comp you. I'll comp you. Hey, I, I, I. You can bring Miles and Gary. I'll comp all three of you. Oh, man. It, it, <laughs> worth it. I'm sorry, guys. You got to go too. <laughs> no, you can tell how excited everyone is. They're like, "This, <laughs> this show's gonna blow." Even the cat walked Even out. Even the, the room. cat fucking uh, just walked away. No, no, no. I, I honestly can't wait. Do you, do you, do you actually have dates for this, and do you know them? I well, it, it's just I'm just doing a one-off, so that if it's okay, if I can't handle it and yeah, implode on myself, yeah, uh, yeah. I believe it's Wednesday the 29th. I'm still waiting for total confirmation, but I believe it's Wednesday the 29th. Let's say eight, but don't okay. quote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still we're still getting it all what figured out, but I think it's the 29th of March. Well, tell you what, how about this? Is there well it. So this is the main thing that, that's going on right now, right? It it's that and up. your your karaoke. Yeah, and I'm yeah, and I'm still doing Joe's Pub. I have a losers lounge in February. I think it's on the twenty fourth. Oh wait, what's the theme for February? What's the Blondie versus the Pretenders? Ooh, yeah, I got a Pretender song. Hey, hey, okay, can, are you at liberty to tell us which one? I mean, I could, but I forgot the title of it. <laughs> Wow, I, I know. know it's so bad because well, I never sang it before. So, so here, so here's the deal. This <laughs> is the perfect lead into what I was about to say. <laughs> Where can folks find out about the gigs that you have coming up? Um, perhaps before you found out, before I know what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> so the next two gigs I have coming up, I don't know what the song is called, and I don't know what the show is. But if you want to find out more about what I don't know. <laughs> You can go to <laughs> lesliegoshko.com. That's L-E-S-L-I-E-G-O-S-H-K-O.com. And I have an events page and I do update that. That's 
that's the most update place to find what I'm doing and where I'm going and all the stuff. Okay, and 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 uh, the the big things coming up right now is Losers Lounge, Losers Lounge, in, and in I have February in February and the solo show, solo show in, in March. March, and then you can find me every week, twice a week at um, Good Judy in Brooklyn doing karaoke. What um, time is that? That is, that's kind of changing. Um, oh, okay, all right. So- let's let's say let's say nine. <laughs> Let's say nine across the board. All right. Nine across the board. Nine across the board. That's safe. I'll definitely be there at nine. Some nights I might be there at eight, but definitely nine. (laughs) Definitely nine I'll be there. And what nights are those? Thursdays and Saturdays. Every Thursday, Saturday. Saturday. All right. So that is all exciting stuff. And Getting back out in the world. Any, any, any goals for things that you, you're, is there anything that you're, saying, I would really like to do this, or you just like, let me just get my feet wet first. Cry less in the shower? I don't know. <laughs> oh, all right, yeah, so. <laughs> it's a great right. exfoliant. I mean, but do you have any attainable goals? <laughs> no, all that, right. is, that well, is a sub-zero we... game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, thanks for chatting with us. Thank it, you so it, much it, for really having me. Really good to hang out. You know, it's just fun to, to hang out. It's just fun to hang out with you. It's so good to see you. Thanks for having Likewise. me. Likewise, thanks. My pleasure. That was our conversation with Leslie Goshko. Man, I enjoy talking to her. Definitely follow her on the socials, and if you get a chance to see her live, like at her live piano karaoke gig, anything that she's involved in is always going to be a fun time. So thanks to Leslie for spending some time with us. So we want to thank you guys for hanging out with us. I want to thank my producer, the one and only Gary Hardcastle, doing a great job as always. He's also our chief audio engineer, and we also have some additional audio work done by Miles Mix Appeal Blues Boost. The theme music was written by King of the Hill, Courtney Hill. And we're going to leave you with some music, as we like to do. Our good friend Jordan Oakland, wonderfully talented singer-songwriter, used to be a part of Summer Replacements, now touring all over the world and living in France. And Jordan just got engaged recently, and we want to send our love to Jordan and his fiance. And uh, we thought we'd close out with some music of his. He's in love and engaged and getting married now. Seven years ago, he did a song called Too Much to Love, presumably about someone other than his fiance. This clip we're going to share with you is with his band, the Jordan Oakland Experience, from a live show about seven years ago. I think, I think somewhere around uh, 2016. Anyway, the band kicked ass. The song is great, and he does great work. Follow him on the socials and check him out. Buy his music. Here we go with Jordan Oakland and the Jordan Oakland experience and the song is Too Much to Love. Until next time, my name is Eric Vetter. I love you all. Too much to love It don't get more real She's the 
Thank you guys so much. Again, my name is Jordan Okren, Will Hodling saxophone, Gary Felder bass, and Mr. JR on the drums, and these lovely dancers. Thank you.